You're listening to the Australian Organic Collective, episode one with your host, Kelsey Taylor. In today's episode, I will be speaking with Nikki Ford. Nikki is the CEO of Australian Organic, the brand behind this podcast. We'll be discussing the story behind Australian Organic, Nikki's personal background, her journey into the organic industry, and how she has very quickly become one of the main driving forces behind the peak industry body. We'll also chat about the challenges the industry has faced over the last couple of years, the fight for domestic regulation in Australia, and the most obvious discussion point for 2020, life after COVID-19. This podcast is sponsored by Cleavers Organic. Feeding the family or feeding the team? Trust Cleavers for 100% delicious certified organic meat. Plus, every Cleavers product is carbon neutral. Find yours in the fresh meat section at your supermarket. From time to time, we chat to our certified operator members, business owners, organic advocates or ambassadors. So if you'd like to be involved with a future episode of the Australian Organic Collective, get in touch with us via any one of our social media platforms. Hi, Nikki, and welcome to the very first episode of our podcast. We'll dive into all things Australian Organic uh, very shortly, but I'd love to kickstart it by talking about you, uh, your professional background, your personal background, uh, and pretty much how you've become the CEO of Australian Organic. Uh, So let us know a bit about your story. What was your first step into the world of organic? So... um I guess essentially I'm a country girl. I grew up on the outskirts of Toowoomba. So for me, agriculture has always been important, food primarily. Uh, I had a vested interest in that space from youth and I went into chefing straight out of school Um, and then also worked through different sales roles in hospitality with um, food and alcohol sales and marketing. So I had a vested interest from a personal perspective. I got unwell when I was about 21, had about nine months off work and that kick-started my uh, thinking around leading a healthier life. From there, over a number of uh, years, probably about eight years, I transitioned into being um, more educated on what organic is. And so for about the last decade, I have um, substituted non-organic products out of my diet and more organic products into my diet. Um, And now I probably live about 90 to 95% consumables, uh, including makeup, Uh, food, beverage are all certified organic. So for me, it was a passion to get into this space. Um, And then I've used my professional skill set that I developed in other areas um, to get to where I am today as the CEO of Australian Organic. You also have a three-year-old. Yes, she's nearly four. (laughs) I was always already um, quite organic by the time I fell pregnant, but I believe my general well-being and health, having an organic lifestyle, helped me have um, pretty much a perfect pregnancy. And my daughter has zero allergies and has a great immunity and is a highly intelligent little human. Uh, she and sure I put, is. <laughs> I put that down to, um, you know, a really good, healthy lifestyle and upbringing. I, um, she has treats but they're not very often we don't have a lot of sugar in our diet and and fruits obviously her primary um, sense of sugar Um, but everything that she eats for the most part is certified organic and I think having that natural um, platform as a little person pre um, you know pregnancy and then into her young um, sort of life has certainly helped her be as healthy as possible but yeah it's certainly been an interesting balancing act I think um, being a professional and having a young child um, and I think I'm a better 
leader or manager for being a mum um, and uh, she certainly adds value to my life that I never expected um, you know having one child um, come into your life is a, is a, a, a very enriched um, experience so I certainly recommend it to everyone. Do you have a favourite product? Now that's a very good question. Um, I am just a massive fan of fresh produce. So I love um, being able to get my, I get a delivered vegetable box every week from an organic uh, home delivery business, Home Fresh Organics based in Brisbane here. And I have been getting that delivery for about a decade as well. And for me, I love getting what's in season and then preparing meals around that. So I love fresh broccoli and cauliflower. They're probably my most favorite things. I love eating them raw. That's so weird. Um, but um, if it came to packaged products, I love a good kombucha. So uh, Bucci do a fantastic green kombucha, which I love. Mm. Uh, and then I'm a mad cheese fan. So oh, I'm yes. very addicted to um, Paris Creek, Beauty Farms, um, Triple Cream, Brie. There are some, you know, Divine uh, have wonderful products as well. So yeah, I'm a, I'm a cheese fan. I'd eat cheese over chocolate any day. Three o'clock on a Friday afternoon, out comes the cheeses and it is heaven. <laughs> Stepping into Australian organic as a business, a lot of things have changed in the last 30 odd years since the business came about. I love the backstory of Australian organic. Originally, it was known as Biological Farmers of Australia and I'll let you explain the story behind how it was first formed. So it was 1987 when Biological Farmers Association was born and it came about because of seven different farming families from around Australia wanted to create an organisation that represented farmers. There was at that time some organisations forming, others that are still around today, but they didn't feel like they actually reflected the the needs or the um, platform farmers could draw from. So I had the pleasure of actually meeting Rosemary and Gavin Dunn in January, who were one of the seven families who established Biological Farmers. And Rosemary uh, was the designer of the Bud logo over 30 years ago. And it was really fascinating to talk to her about why that came about the image came about and apparently they they went through they actually had engaged a couple of digital designers at the time or graphic designers at the time (laughs) the versions they gave them they didn't really like Mm. and they were quite inspired by the global logo um, for biodynamic and how it had what rosemary describes as movement in the logo itself and they wanted to have a logo that had movement and so um, these designers weren't able to give them what they want and uh, the story is that Gavin and Rosemary were sitting down watching the French Open by the TV and Rosemary was doodling on a, um, a pad and came up with the Bud logo while watching tennis. So wow. um, often it's said that it was done at a kitchen table, but that's mm. actually not the true story. The true story, it was done by watching some TV, watching <laughs> some tennis. Um, so, and when she explains it with having the movement in the logo, I can now see what she was talking yeah, about. Yeah, definitely. And um, yeah, so that's where that started. And Gavin and Rosemary are grain farmers from South Australia, just north of Adelaide in and they still um, grow today. Uh, their son and daughter actually work in the um, business now and I think they're looking at retiring a bit or giving up a little bit of the workload. When I saw them in January, they were talking about it. But, yeah, so during that time they established um, field days and that was um, held up at Greenmount. The business is now called Kyala. 
um, but they had over, I think it was about 1,200 people from all around Australia come and convene to learn about organic and biological farmers of Australia. So that business evolved over many years and it created its own st- well, standard, which was based on, um, I guess, over time, the national standard, uh, which wasn't written until the 90s. And in 2012, as the business had evolved to represent more uh, businesses that sat outside of just agriculture, so manufacturing was obviously, um, you know, convenience foods were growing in that time, uh, they decided that Biological Farmers Association didn't really suit uh, the client base anymore and um, they registered Australian Organic Limited in 2012 to be more representative of um, the clients. And since then, up until 2018, uh, which was just six years later, which seems like a short period of time in in regards to the time in the whole um, business, Australian Organic Limited uh, in 2018 uh, decided to demerge from ACO, which was a subsidiary certification of the business, uh, so that they could step forward as the peak industry body. And that's the business I took on. And it's nearly two years ago now since that happened. And we have, um, during that time, uh, been setting ourselves up structurally from an operational perspective and also uh, industry-wise as the peak industry body. So about three years ago, the whole industry um, uh, engaged with a consultant to do a review so that we could actually have one single voice to government. Because for many years, um, we've given their six certification bodies, there was no one single voice to government. So during that process of review, um, one of the suggestions, in fact, the, the you know, the the suggestion that would make the biggest impact would be that AO would step forward as the peak industry body. However, there are a number of conditions that sat under that for the industry to support that. Um, The number one being that they couldn't be attached to one certification body. They had to be uh, non-biased and separate from all certification bodies. So AOL is a member-owned organisation. The board just couldn't decide that and implement it. So they took it to the 2017 AGM. Uh, I'm actually a member of AOL and I was actually at that AGM uh, and there was a resolution passed by the members that AOL would demerge from ACO. So from November 2017, um, the industry um, body um, to be um, started making the preparations to demerge from ACO. So by the end of that financial year, ACO and AOL became two very different entities with their own board, their own management team and their own organisational structure. Now, one thing that I remember when I first started working in the organic industry, just how crazy it was that a, a brand could come along with the product and call it organic but not actually have to prove it. Domestic regulation is a big thing. Can you explain it a little bit more? So to give you an understanding, Australia is the last developed country in the world to not have that consistent approach. So back in 2016, um, you know, four years ago, uh, India, New I was just Zealand, say, I believe and Australia, India even has it, don't they? Yeah, New Zealand, India, and Australia um, were the last three countries. Now we're the last. New Zealand, as of a few weeks ago, mm. had their first draft bill passed by 100% of their parliament. So we are definitely behind the eight ball. However, since we have been um, operating as the peak industry body, it's been our number one priority to have this discussion. So we launched into this lobbying February last year with the Department of Agriculture. Um, given that their current remit is for export only, um, they 
provided little insight into uh, how we would progress that. And so we've been uh, trying to figure it out ourselves. Certainly spent a lot of time researching and understanding legislative frameworks, understanding implementation, understanding federal law, uh, law state mm. law. It's been quite an interesting process of um, kind of running down rabbit holes a lot of the time. Uh, very early this year, or late last year rather, um, after we'd been given the support from the then Minister for Agriculture, Senator McKenzie, uh, who was instrumental in us getting a lot of airtime around the discussion for domestic regulation. She you know, gave her full support and her office was instrumental in being allowed to help us progress. And so NFS NFF have been helpful in us in talking with us around this and supporting the discussion. Uh, I was able to speak to our new minister, uh, David Littleproud, over the phone, uh, and which was quite humbling during the COVID-19 crisis that he was available to have a discussion about this, and he gave his full support uh, for this process. So we are working with him and his uh, office at the moment around time frame and processes to put in place to ensure that we can deliver this this year. There would be a transition and education and a training process that would come out the back, uh, but he was very keen to get that consistent approach because it will provide not just consumer confidence and understanding that anything they pick up that says organic truly is organic, it will also allow the opportunity for market access uh, and international countries such as China and the US and the UK will not sign trade equivalency agreements with us for organic because we don't have that consistent approach. Now, the USA and China are our two largest markets. So if we're able to deliver that consistent messaging, we would be able to then um, grow our, our business um, both domestically and internationally. A lot of it has to do with where you place the word organic on your packaging. So if you have organic before a product name, so for instance, in Gaia's case, which was the baby brand that got fined, uh, they had the word organic before the product name. So it said pure natural organic moisturizer. So when you're reading that, it's, it is reasonable for a consumer to think that is organic moisturizer mm. because the word organic comes because like in front of the word right. moisturizer. Now, the, the fascinating thing about that case is if you were to look at those products from afar, you would see that there's nothing to change since that case. They, they got fined nearly $40,000 and they had to change all their packaging. It looks very similar. The thing is they've actually moved pure, natural and organic to actually sit below the product name now, which is in alignment um, with consumer sentiment although it still looks the same apparently from a lawyer's perspective so if domestic regulation was to happen and to go through a product like that would have to take off the word organic well look this is the tricky thing that we're working through at the moment so internationally organic under legislation applies to food and beverage only And so we're working through the complications of that at the moment. The one thing about our structure we have here, though, uh, which is a bonus, is biodynamic is named in our standard, which isn't actually named in any other international standard. So while we may not get cosmetic or personal care lines under that structure in the initial stages, um, we would have biodynamic considered as a trait, like as a standardised approach, which isn't actually law anywhere else. Can you explain the difference between the national standard and the ACOS? Yeah, sure. So all the six certification bodies that are approved by the Department of Agriculture um, at the very first principle of certification apply the national standard principles. So the national standard forms the foundation. You have 
three private standards. We've got um, BDRI, which is the biodynamic standard. So that has a whole array of principles around it that relate to different lunar cycles and harvesting periods, certain applications of fertilizers that are made through certain processes so it is quite it's unique in very its own unique space. yeah and then you've got the acos and you've got the um, nasa standard so those two standards are similar however the acos has additional market access uh, that others don't so for instance uh, operators who certify to the bud can get wine into the eu uh, and also um, livestock and then into korea south korea they can access under um, the organic and use the word organic going into those markets whereas the other people you're certified with can't so you think that that would be the main reason somebody would choose to be certified with the bud logo look at it certainly contributing reason so the bud logo is the most recognized logo in australia so more than 50 percent of organic consumers know that as the mark of organic so if you look at that comparison over 50 percent with the bud there's about low 30 percent with the nasa logo Mm -hmm. uh, and then the rest other a very small percentage of acknowledgement if you look at the us they probably have a better model in some ways but a worse model in others so they have a national mark that's owned by the department of agriculture and they have a standard that's owned by the department of agriculture but there's a lot of input from big business into that so that's the green usda logo yes so by example they have a lower welfare animal welfare you know sort of structure Mm. um because you know larger organization like they can lot feed over there um they can house their beasts and some of that's due to um environmental and geographic reasons because it's so cold in certain areas whereas we have you know a country that doesn't really deal with a lot of snow or anything like that and most of our um wild animals are free roaming in warmer parts of australia so we don't have those requirements and our standards supports that but yeah, so but but the fact is in the US, if you have that logo or if you use the word organic and you have to use the USDA stamp. Here, because we don't have that program and there is no one national mark, there are six currently marks in the in the market. Uh, and it can be confusing unless you know what all six are. But to be sure and safe, the Bud's on over 33,000 products and it is the most available in stores. Uh, We're about to do some research on that probably later this year to understand the true uh, representation in in a major retailer or independent retailer around how many what's the percentage of product on shelf and you would be probably be quite surprised in the percentage that has the Bud logo. It's, It's quite a significant range Mm. because we do all the promotion and marketing behind it and no other certification body does that one of the main campaigns that we do every two years is the organic market report Mm -hmm. some incredible facts have come out of that out of the last one that we did was 2019 we hold around 51 percent of the global total area of organic certified farmland it makes sense because we've got such a huge amount of land and but i guess people don't really realize how much of that is organic farmland yeah look a lot of that's pastoral you'll find like a lot of that's up in queens north queensland regional areas out into the northern territory a lot of it is certified all the major pastoral companies have certified organic land uh, it is an opportunity uh, you know our largest certified organic beef producer in australia um, you know 
exports, I think, uh, a large portion of the meat that they do supply. Because of our welfare clauses in our standard, we have a lot of call. And the US is probably the biggest market. It's not probably, it is the biggest market for Australian certified beef. And they love it frozen, which is quite strange to Australians. You know, you can put all your product in a freezer and ship it over there. It's one of the easiest ways to move beef or product is frozen whereas in australia you wouldn't do that you would you know we're very much we eat meat fresh Mm, that's Mm. a very interesting concept isn't it we don't do life live exports right not an organic no you can't it wouldn't sit in the standard yeah price point is a huge thing a lot of people often say why is it so much more expensive but it's actually not that much more expensive well i think it's perception for years it was always enormously expensive Mm. because it was never manufactured to the probably the the amount it's manufactured now and yeah there are things that are more expensive absolutely and they always will be because there's a level of labor you know a higher level of labor costs you know an organic farm just can't go and spray roundup around the weeds so they're you know they have to hand pick all their animals as a weeding tool so they they provide they need to feed them you need to house them you need to vet them there's there are additional elements there are additional costs um the evolution of chemicals was put in place to create more efficient and cost-effective processes, which is the opposite of what we do for organic. So that's all, there's always going to be a gap. It will never be the same. But what I've seen over a decade of being organic is that gap has certainly closed. You know, you just have to look at the opportunity costs. Um, you know, when you're looking at uh, obviously, you know, the major retailers, Woolworths in particular, is quite focused on organic. Uh, and if you look at, you know, canned beans, for instance, and canned tomatoes. You know, there's probably maybe 40, 40 cents difference per can now between those things, whereas you used to see canned tomatoes or beans up around the $3 mark um, in health food shops. You know, they're, they're down. Obviously, the model's different. Woolworths buys these things by the container load, mm. I would imagine. Uh, but in stores, you're definitely seeing those costs come down. Uh, you will always still pay a little bit more, and I think that is just representative of the rigour uh, and the auditing and the extra attention that's put into this space you know it can take anywhere from one year to three years depending on where you're starting from and what you're actually producing and or manufacturing quite often we get comments about it as well is i really want to choose organic but it's covered in plastic Hmm. so i'm not going to buy that i'm going to buy the conventional stuff that's not but i think it's it's kind of a catch-22 isn't it because realistically you're choosing something for the environment or you're choosing something for yourself do you want to be in eating foods that have been sprayed mm. or do you want to be choosing something that has been grown organically that happens to be in plastic? Look, I think plastic is, um, it's a challenging one and I think it's going to remain challenging until, until there's some real innovation around what the alternatives are. Uh, there's a number of reasons why plastic's used in larger supermarkets. It's to identify the non-organic versus the organic because let's face it, people will pretend something's non-organic when they're going through a register just because it's cheaper. Yeah. So unfortunately, humans let let humans down. Mm. So that's probably one of the big one of the issues. So by packaging it, um, you can identify it. Uh, there is also the other fact that we live in a convenience-based society. We don't have a garden in our backyard to go and grab a zucchini off here and a carrot out there. (laughs) So having packaging and especially plastic, which is a very effective packaging for keeping products fresh, is essential to our convenient lifestyle. So unless we're willing to go to the store every other day to buy fruit and vegetables that we want, 
we've got to kind of come to a happy medium around what we find acceptable. Mm. And there are ways to recycle the plastic. While I'm not suggesting plastic's great, in fact, I reduce as much plastic as I can every day. And I can't even remember the last time I actually bought cling wrap at home and I buy the recycled one. Um, I wrap... It's okay, you're not on trial here. No, 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 but just to give you an example, and I've tried so many different ways of trying to not use plastic. I wrap all of my, um, you know, uh, zucchinis, cucumbers, celery, uh, uh, even green shallots in cotton tea towels. In yeah, my right. in my crisper, and I and I tried carrots. Carrots don't work, people. Carrots only work in plastic. You can't <laughs> try them; they'll end up rubbery. Um, but I did a lot of research um, just by trial and error at home with mm. my own to see what would work in tea towels or you know those calico bags you can buy, yeah. um, and what wouldn't. And there's only certain things that won't work, but most of it you can just either put in your crisper or wrap them in cotton tea towels once you get them home. And then it's up to you to choose how you pack them in, you know, Mm. the certain um, places that you buy them from. But again, if you're buying straight from a farm out of a delivery box, you're generally getting it all in a box and then you get that choice to wrap it how you want when you get home. Um, Or if you're in a health food shop, you always get the option generally for a paper bag, which again works for most things, but then you can get those corn made bags the corn based bags the green ones they work really well so i think it just comes down to you as a consumer choosing to purchase it or not but the more that you choose to purchase the greater quantity the the the, um, supermarket will have and therefore the more opportunity they'll have to actually buy it in bulk and provide it to you so you've got to kind of commit to actually buying it from Woolworths so that they can grow the the actual um, amount they supply into the store so then they can get rid of the plastic Mm. or you commit to buying it from your health food shop and having it without plastic i mean it's safe to say that even over the last 12 months the amount that they've got at Woolworths just up the road is double. Um, They've definitely got a lot more on offer, Mm. which is really cool. Well, Woolworths is um, very participative in the growth of this industry. Uh, They announced, I think, a year and a half ago, a growth fund where they actually help businesses either upsize, there's a number of operators that have grown their business model through these funds, or they actually help people in areas that they don't have supply of a particular product into the store or not enough of, diversify their conventional farm and actually help them to certify. So they've been very proactive. uh, And I think Woolworths is very conscious of how consumers are wanting to consume better for your options. And Australian Organic have got a pretty good working relationship with Woolworths as well, particularly thinking about September. We run a huge national campaign called Australian Organic Awareness Month. Well, Awareness Month was created, I think we're in our seventh year this year. Yes. Yeah. Uh, to promote what is certified organic. It's not against conventional versus organic. We'll never have that discussion. It's always about how you are choosing a product that truly is organic versus something that's pretending to be organic. So it's an education month where, and it's probably turned to a month and a half now. We start (laughs) halfway through August. Um, But um, it's been growing every year. Uh, It was the first, uh, I came into the business consulting on this marketing campaign. So this will be the third one I've been involved in this year. And it's just gotten bigger and bigger every year. 
Yeah, so last year we had the three major supermarkets involved uh, in different varying forms. Yep. So Woolworths and, and it was Gate. it was amazing going into any Woolworths as well and seeing the logo and seeing the purple and seeing at least every aisle had a shelf talker or a, a sticker or something in there to say, hey, Organic Awareness Month, check out this product or check out this product. Yeah. And that was really cool. Well, and that was an enormous success for them. Coles also contributed, uh, not as, uh, as to the greater breadth, but they were definitely uh, an enormous part as well. And, and Aldi had a small but still very important role in that space. And the independents, we had, you know, large groups of independents like the Hopper Group in Queensland um, and the Chapley Group in South Australia get involved. Um, Chapley Group, in fact, made a lot of their own point of sale out of our own assets. So that was quite exciting to see. And then we engaged like the social media and, um, you know, influencers and ambassadors to get involved in the campaign. So it's all about raising awareness around why you should choose a certified organic product over an organic product. Uh, we'd like to do more of those campaigns because I think um, as we grow into the domestic regulation piece, well, we know from the stats from the market report that domestic sales grew 15% um, in one year from 2018 uh, uh, sorry, in 2018 versus 2017. So that demonstrates itself that people are choosing to buy certified organic more than ever before. And obviously our message is getting across because the growth in the acknowledgement of the Bud logo is at an all-time high as well. So yeah, Awareness Month is an, a very important month, but we do promote why to buy certified organic every day. It's just, it's basically becomes on steroids during September. <laughs> You can say that again. Um, with you as CEO of Australian Organic, where do you see the business going in five years' time? Australian Organic yep. or the industry? Both. Look, I think it's going to be a very interesting next three years. I, I'm not sure. I'm not sure I could speculate five years. But I'm going to say three years. So I predict with the domestic regulation, you'll see our industry double over the next two years when I talk about revenue uh, and I think operators you may not see double uh, because I think some people will come along this ride some people won't I think you'll see uh, the industry start catching up with international markets and we have a really important role to play when it comes to agriculture so I think we've been a bit of a sleeping giant for many years organic agriculture is regenerative agriculture and as I'm sure everyone knows that's the new pop word for sustainable farming <laughs> um, so we have ongoing dialogue with the National Farmers Federation and also the minister little proud around how we can contribute to that so the $100 billion target for 2030, which no doubt will be probably slightly revised with the coronavirus crisis we're going through, but we see ourselves as a key contributor to that um, value. So ag won't just grow. You need more value add ag. And we believe that we have that solution in organic and we believe that we can contribute that value to the industry. So for us, I think in the next three years, you'll see our industry double in regards to value. So currently we're sitting, the estimated value is about 2.6 billion. Yes. So and you that's think it'll, estimated. Yeah. I think you would easily see us sit as a $6 billion right. industry uh, in the next three years. Amazing. I, I think you could easily say that. I think it could be more. Uh, we, especially with the, the focus on, you know, the coronavirus is a, an issue we're facing at the moment. However, the opportunity we have here in Australia is we live in abundance, not just from a, you know, richness of culture or richness of finance, but we have 
land, we have agricultural resources, we have lots of people that are skilled in this space, and we have the ability right now to turn off the effects of this to a point we've seen our curve flatten uh, and it is our real opportunity to showcase how well we can promote our industry not just here domestically but internationally there's going to be a lot of changes globally from this crisis and we are in the position to help transition the world in many ways um, by providing that uh, agricultural resource in, in, in the, um, I guess, the example of food and even you know, mining, I guess, to a point. Um, we, we're, we're in a really good position, I feel, to come out of this in a really, really functional way. So talking about COVID-19, what is Australian Organic doing for A, our members and B, the industry during this time? Well, we've been doing a lot. Mm. Uh, we've pretty much um, down tools and everything else we were working on uh, um, two weeks ago. Well, I guess ago. there's no more events now, <laughs> so... <laughs> Um, look, while um, a lot of domestic regulation conversations are still going on, most other activities have been postponed or cancelled. So we've re-diverted our attention to providing in-time communication uh, and also a new focus on how we can support industry transition at the back end of this. So um, webinars, we're working on what webinars we could put in place to help the industry upskill itself or even steady itself during this time. We have uh, weekly, well, I have weekly discussions with the NFF members committee with the Department of Agriculture and, and have also sat on two roundtables with Minister Littleproud around agriculture. And we've been working across industry to understand and provide resources to members and industry to help support them in the direction of financial support or even just information. Um, so, yeah, our whole uh, remit right now is to deliver, to deliver in-time in information to get us through this time and then transition us out. So we offer a lot of levels of membership. You don't actually have to be certified to the bud to be a member of Australian Organic. Um, and we also talked very briefly about customers being able to be members of Australian Organic um, to a different degree. If you would like to explain a few differences about the memberships. Well, we've got four different types of memberships, three of which sit under industry. So if you are bud certified, or you were a member prior to November 2018. Yeah. Yeah. Um, you are still considered an industry member. Um, so that's for BUD certified or people who were pre-2018. So I'm one of those members. I'm not a, a certified operator. Uh, I don't have... You're an OG. A, I, I don't have an operating business, but I am a vested member from mm. the past. Um, anyone who's not certified to the BUD can definitely be a member. There's two op options there. You don't have to be certified to the BUD. And you, if you are... Um, uh, sorry, you don't have to be certified and if you are that's okay too um so one is they're both associate memberships and one's voting and one's non-voting but everyone is welcome to be a member uh and so you if you are certified to the bud you then choose to become a member of australian organic as well that provides you voting um op options and mm. other discounts to membership and then the fourth membership which is completely different to all three of those as you said those three are industry based this one is a consumer based That's membership right. it's for a bud organic club so we have over seven thousand consumers that are members of this club uh it is a resource for those who are looking to understand more about an organic lifestyle. 
So there's week, there's monthly emails. There's also um, a web page that you can sign into. There's blogs and recipes, recipes and um, information. Um, you know, there's there's opportunities for our members also to talk to those members, those consumers. So there's you know consumers that are in that space could be asked to review products or um, go provide feedback on you know, you know people's you know businesses ideas on new um, strategies or do surveys or whatever there might be. Uh, but yeah, there's there's an option for consumers there. But that's growing every day. Do you have any advice for someone that wants to try living an organic lifestyle? Yeah, just start one product at a time. Um, food's easy to just transition one product at a time it's probably the least most expensive process through food if you're looking at beauty or personal care it's probably a bit more expensive Um, and if you're going to do that I'd probably recommend talking to someone at the store that you go to to buy it to ask advice on because quite often even with makeup if you're a female um, transitioning out of your non-organic makeup can provide you with skin irritations for a period of time because your skin starts to detox so you can um, you know use clay masks to actually expedite that detox um, I went through that years ago when I transitioned from a commercial brand into, into natural and it was quite confronting to start with but it's worth working through but Stick probably to talk to someone about that uh, but yeah just one product at a time is the key that's how I did it I didn't become 90 to 95% overnight. I did it over a decade. So it's a lifestyle, I guess, that, you know, you have to also look at what your budget is. You know, if it is that you only can afford to do organic produce, then just do organic produce. Uh, There's, you know, I would suggest delivery boxes are the cheapest way to do produce. Lots of good value for money. And, you know, and, and just pick the things that are really important to you to be organic. Thank you, Nikki Ford, CEO of Australian Organic. It has been a pleasure. Thank you, Kelsey. That's a wrap on the first episode of the Australian Organic Collective with Nikki Ford as our first guest. To get in touch with Nikki, you can connect with her on Twitter at NikkiFord5 or via email. This podcast would not be possible without our podcast sponsor, Cleavers Organic. If you're feeding the family or you're feeding the team, you can trust Cleavers for 100% delicious certified organic meat. Plus, every Cleavers product is carbon neutral. Find yours in the fresh meat section at your supermarket. Thank you so much for listening. We look forward to the next episode of our podcast. And remember, if you'd like to be involved, please get in touch with us via one of our social platforms. For any more information about any of the memberships available, you can check the podcast notes or head to our website, ostorganic.com.